Check me out. Look, I know perfect timing feels like I'm too late. And I know I'm still great in spite of my mistakes. Yo, what's going on, family? Welcome to another episode of Perfect Time of Multisport. I'm really excited to bring, well, to just be back and having another conversation with you all. Um, gosh, in the moment, I forgot how to pronounce your name. So can you please remind me? <laughs> Chicaro. Chicaro. Yes. All right. Apologize about that. Apologize to you. Excited to bring Chicaro here to the PTM community and just share his story. I recently met him through Marcus Fitz, who some of you all know from a previous episode we did. I think it was episode two. Following that conversation and just the relationship we have, he was saying, hey, this is somebody that you, he's doing some amazing work. You're doing the same. He didn't say that second part, but I know he feels that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he was like, hey, I want to make sure I introduce you to just highlight the work that folks are doing. So Absolutely. again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. No problem. How are you feeling today? Man, feeling feeling good. Out the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interactive socializing, so. Yeah. Hey, I feel that. Shoot, yeah. speaking of being out the house, how's your COVID time been? COVID time has been pretty isolated as far as I have a young family, so I try to get them out from time to time, but for the most part, just kind of staying indoors and going out when needed, yeah. and the social aspect of things have kind of kept that to a minimum. Makes sense. Makes sense. And I also know you have dealt with some tragedy during these times, which I definitely want to talk about and how you navigated through that, mm -hmm. um, especially using athletics as a resource, considering the reason PTM is created. But before we get into that, I'm really curious about your personal journey and how you got from Indiana, where you're from, right? <laughs> Absolutely. To now here in D.C. Yep. as the person you are. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Journey has been pretty winding, a windy road, but all the less I'm here. Yeah. My mother actually moved here when I was in high school. She was remarried and moved here at the end of my, right when I went to college, actually. Okay. so you High school, right before college. Yep. Okay. So you grew up all in Indiana? All in Indiana. All yep. right. Yep. Where'd you go to college at? I went to Ball State University. Ball State. Where is Ball State? That's in Muncie, Indiana. Okay, cool. Yeah. So although you were still at home, what was it like to be separated from family? Well, it was, I have three brothers, okay. uh, two siblings, and my big brother was, became the man of the house for real. Yeah. <laughs> and he kind of managed that. Um, at the time, I was involved in athletics. Mm. I was a pretty good kid. What uh, athletics were you involved in? Pretty much at that point, track and football. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, you played football in college too, right? Correct. All right. So what was that experience like as a student athlete? It was very challenging that first that first year to be exposed to that level of play and then mm -hmm. also the academic rigor in conjunction with the, the demanding schedule was a challenge. So how did you actually balance that? I'm a hard worker, man, and I just kind of put my nose to the ground and I respond to authority and, yeah. and, and organization. At the time, I responded to authority. <laughs> 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 but I just, I just got it done. I'm always curious because I know lessons that I learned as an athlete, as a teenager and growing up as a young adult. And I'm curious to see what lessons did you learn as an athlete mm -hmm. at that age? I would say high school first, it started with chemistry. Actually, my coach, high school coach was a four-star general. So he really was a a leader of men. He definitely knew how to identify 
talent mm-hmm. and each person's strength to collectively work together. So he was magnificent at that. Going to college, established some friendships and had some admiration for some coaches, but I've never experienced a gentleman that had that type of knack for coaching mm. an individual, you know, individuals yeah, and making a team. So it seems like he was a pretty big mentor in your life growing up, huh? Yeah, he was a pretty big mentor in my life. I think he was a, a white gentleman. We had some racial issues in during that time, but he was able to manage it and show our strengths. He, he was able to focus on our strengths and find those common goals that we had, mm-hmm. common interests, yeah. and had us work together. We, we, we did really well with that. So, so what did it feel like to have a mentor and a person like that in your life at such a young age? And then going to Ball State where you played football, uh-huh. right? So you had that foundation, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't get, right? right? I think about myself. I only got a foundation when I went to the military. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. But you had that going into Correct. young adult life. So what was Correct. it like? Um, it was, so that was my foundation. That was my expectations. Yeah. But going into college, that environment is not the same type of, commitment to you as an individual right Mm -hmm. um the interest to really connect with you and show and and extract the best out of you it's kind of like get it get it done or you out of here you know what i mean it's a business transactional it's more transactional so going there on the college level and then being confronted with racial situations and seeing how it was handled it was handled totally different but because I had that foundation, I was able to stand up as a leader, ironically. And yeah. it was a situation, it was a tough situation because it was a really good friend of mine. We came from the same high school, grew up together, and it was a conflict with him mm. and the coaching staff. But he had went to a JUCO junior college for a year and came back. He was a great asset to them, right. but they didn't like his, his demeanor. <laughs> <laughs> demeanor, and at the time, Wearing braids, cornrows was just not acceptable. Yeah. So they just didn't (laughs) like it. So it was a challenging time at that time. I was able to kind of step in and make the right decision for the team. But in hindsight, and what we see now, it was an immature, a naive approach. But I think us as a country, we operated in that space. Mm. And looking back, he was right at 20 years old. He was ahead of his time. Yeah. You know, ahead of his time. Yeah. So um, it's, it's kind of profound looking back. But at that time, I responded in a way that I was conditioned to respond, if you will. So that foundation was solid, but at the same time, it created other yeah. lifelong. It's definitely hard. And, yeah. and again, I know you had this, this strong foundation, but at the end of the day, you're still a young adult, right? Correct. So, <laughs> you know, when, when you're taken and then... And then being put into this transactional relationship that I'm sure athletics brings in the D1 university, that's hard. Right. <laughs> you know, although you want to be as supportive, it's it's definitely hard. I can only imagine. Thinking about some hard things and you talked about being a hard worker, kind of transitioning a little bit from uh, college at Ball State to now going into this professional life. So what was that transition like? That transition was a little challenging. Actually, once leaving college, I thought about going to the military. <laughs> okay. But we had just went to war. It was President Bush at the time. And I said, maybe I don't want to do that. So I decided I can be committed to my community in other ways. I can give back in another way, in so, an alternative way. So transition. Then I moved to D.C. My mother lived out here. 
I went back home. One of my good friends was going to Michigan with the law school there. And he was saying, come here. And my brother was like, get out of the Midwest. If you don't leave, I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> he was that He was that type of guy. You're going to do what I say. And if you yeah. don't, we, you got a problem. Yeah. So it was like, all right, understood. <laughs> <laughs> and this is your older brother. This right? is my older brother. All right. So I, I came out to D.C. My mother asked me. She was like, you know, come out. So, yeah, so I moved out to Texas. You grew up in Indiana, went to college in Indiana. Uh-huh. That was what you knew. Mm-hmm. And now you, you're here in Chocolate City. Was, yeah. was it still Chocolate City at that time? It was still Chocolate City All at right. that time. <laughs> it was, I actually thought I wanted to get in corporate America. I pursued my MBA. I was working at Citibank. Went in that space and I was like, wow, this is not me. This is not cool. Again, it was another transactional mm. type of environment, corporate space. I did okay. I got along with people well, but I had never been in that type of space. How long were you in that space? Maybe a little over a year. All right. Maybe so a little over a year. Oh wow. So it was pretty quick. You you realized right away. Oh, right away. Right <laughs> away. Right away. I was actually working at Citibank in Laurel, Maryland. Okay. And then they sent me to DC, it yeah. was like the headquarters, the main branch. And then I moved into the city. And then I realized that it's not for me. Real quick, I definitely have a question about that. But for people listening and people watching, I want to make sure I take a moment to say I do know that it's still Chocolate City, but <laughs> I recognize that there are a lot of changes. And if you are here in DC, are familiar with the area, you know what those changes look like. However, I do want to make sure I apologize before moving on and don't want to take away or discredit this community that we all love. But moving on from that, how'd you know that it just wasn't for you? A couple things. One, being from Indiana, people interact with you as it's a more substantive type of relationship. They want to know your family. They want to know your last name, your cousin, your dog. It's more substantive. At the time, I guess I was doing well and people wanted to distinguish me from other people. And I was just like, that's not me. Mm -hmm. That's not my interest. And then I also was able to observe the glass ceiling. It was an African-American male that you know, man that was probably double my age. He probably was about 40. And in certain meetings, I saw that he was talented. But the way he in which he interacted with everybody reminded me of some of the coaches that were African-American. And they were limited in their possibilities. And so that was another thing that I saw. I said, man, I'll never be as smart as him. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. He was refined. He was put together. I was like, oh, man, I'm not going to be in a situation where people, a person can determine my success. So I think that was probably the most pivotal experience or observation that made me want to alter my trajectory. That's definitely powerful and commend you for doing that. Speaking of altering that trajectory, what was that next move for you? That next move was I went back to the university Mm -hmm. (laughs) at Bloomington, Indiana, Uh, The head coach at my college team was like, come on, if you want to coach, we got you. (laughs) (laughs) So that that love and that that passion for athletics never left? For the time being. Okay. Um, So I went back, Bloomington. I was interested in becoming more in the fitness space. Mm -hmm. And so I said, maybe the strength coach. They were trying to segue me back into the coaching thing. I was like, yeah, come and do some strength coach stuff. Getting back to the university, we were working back into... (laughs) athletics i went there and i found out that it was no longer my love 
I didn't like this space. I didn't see the growth in it. I didn't see the impact in it. And I was over that space. I moved, I came back to DC. How long, one second, how long are you back in Indiana? That was a short period of time. I think that was just for like the fall. Oh, so you like to make decisions. You in and out. You know? Yeah. I, I respect that. You don't yeah. waste no time, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I probably stayed in what I do now longer than I should have. But yeah, early <laughs> on, I made quick decisions. <laughs> but I was, I, 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 I transitioned to what I love, so I was more enduring. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. You were beginning to mention now you're back here in D.C. Yeah. You figure hey, I tried this coaching thing, tried working with the university, tried working with athletes, mm -hmm. but in the capacity that you were doing it just wasn't it. So mm -hmm. what was it? So coming back to D.C. and at the time, I had a lot of good, I made a lot of good relationships with people in the athletic space. And when I came back to D.C., they weren't recruiting talent out of D.C. I think they had some gang issues. And Division One colleges, not even Maryland, was recruiting people from D.C. Ran into a coach, he's now at Maryland. He came to me and said, hey, man, listen, I want to do this. What do, you, what do you think about this combine? I said, man, I'm with it. It's terrible. They're not recruiting kids from this area. But I've gone to some of the games. There's some talent out here. So we created a combine at Dunbar High School. At Dunbar High School, it was a coach named Coach Jeffries at the time. It was quite a few people kind of coalesced around the idea. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people wanted to see some of the talent, you know, expand and transcend D.C., local, yeah. local football, high school football. We had some success. Got picked up. It was a, a famous coach out of Colorado that won the national title back in like 1994, you know what I mean? With like the enemy and, you know, Desmond Howard, you know, back in that time, right? Yeah. He came, old guy, Coach Uzelak. He was about 70-something, retired. Right. But St. John's wanted to transition the program and start recruiting people from the city. Right. So he came to the combine. He knew kind of my coach. He <laughs> came to me and was say, hey, you know, I'm going to be over here at St. John's, you know. Oh, so you so now you transition to working at St. John's. So I transitioned to St. Okay. John's at St. at um, Dunbar. It was more or less a combine. Yeah, collaborating with the coaches, making it attractive. We were still young, yeah. recently. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, ball players. So we wanted to make it attractive to the uh, high school students. So I know you built programs, and we're actually going to be talking about one that you have in progress now, but what was it like to build a program like this combine at such a young age? Now, it was a collective effort. Coaches were definitely involved. It was a collective effort with other recent graduates that also competed on the collegiate level, Division okay. One level. So it was a collective effort to do that. It was a great opportunity. I had kind of experience to kind of have the confidence in doing it. Then transitioning and coaching at a school like St. John's was a little more challenging. Again, I wasn't aware of the politics, the nature of things on a high school level. How long were you at St. John's? I was there for a year. It was 90 hour weeks yeah. and I'm like 23. They're there Friday, Saturday and Sunday for film. <laughs> like it was back like in the university. The dynamics, even though the coach was very supportive of me, I pretty much was in a solid position. I just was like, whoa. Yeah. This 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 is this is not football anymore. It just the dynamics changed. <laughs> After spending a year there, I know you continue to start some different programs, mm -hmm. in particular at this conference at NIH. Okay. Right. Yeah. So yeah. 
Uh, tell us about that story. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I was ambitious. Even though I would make adjustments, I was ambitious because I think I knew what I wanted. And as I mentioned, as far as working, I mean, being in athletics, I saw that it wasn't my space and I wouldn't be able to become my full self. I transitioned to work more with the general populace. So I started working in the, um, at a local gym and I worked as a physical therapist. Working in those spaces, I thought it was cool, but I wanted to be more impactful because you were working with individuals. I had a young lady that worked for the NIH, a friend, and she brought me to a conference. And I went to the conference and I was like, man, this is what I'm talking about. Okay, this, this is me, right? Mm -hmm. So I got on a list, I finagled my way. <laughs> I finagled my way. <laughs> I can't remember if it was a guest list or something, but it was for the speakers and the, you know, the <laughs> so I finagle my way and hey, lo and behold, they had this, it's called the physical activity plan. And it was actually a national plan that they wanted to devise. The Department of Health was consulting with nation states around the world, actually, mm -hmm. to come up with a national program. It was pretty much a working weekend, it was a working week of having breakout sessions and forums to come up with the strategic plan from a national level, a regional level, and then breaking it down to a local level. Mm -hmm. So I walk in <laughs> with my badge and everything. Mr. Martin. <laughs> I'm probably about 20, I don't know, maybe 26. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I walk in there and I go into the big forum and then they have these breakout sessions and I'm sitting at these tables and being from Indiana, you're not really accustomed to politics or anything. Mm -hmm. But they were like, a lobbyist was here. I'm like, a lobbyist? <laughs> this guy here and the dean of North Carolina was here. And it was, I was sitting next to the CFO of Coca-Cola. Mm. Or she was a CEO. And I was just like, okay, I'm in the spot. What did it feel like to be in a space that literally wasn't for you, right? Absolutely. I was too ignorant to really understand the magnitude of where I was. Now, as the time progressed, I kind of, actually, the gentleman that I mentioned, he was the dean of North Carolina. He was actually a brother. Mm -hmm. He actually pulled me up and said, man, how did you get in here? <laughs> and I responded, you know, naively, and he saw it. It was funny to him. Yeah. You know, he patted me on the back. And like, <laughs> you know, so, so, so we know how you got in there. What did right. it feel like to be there? It felt very informative, insightful. It provided me perspective on how everything fit. It was all the different sectors in one space, collaborating, interacting. Again, I not only stayed in the health and fitness space, I went into the business space. I went into the public transportation space. And so I was exposed to a lot. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that was probably most profound for me and impactful at that time, it probably what inspired me to continue to do what I do around fitness was, it was a guy named Mr. Bob Soales. He was the head of ACE certification at the time and all of the different certifications fell under ACE. And he was speaking on behalf of the fitness industry in efforts to merge the fitness industry and the medical industry. And his pitch was exercise is medicine. Right. And so when I heard that, I said, there it is. 
right? So I always remember that it resonated with me and that was my approach. I'm really curious to, to learn a bit more on what you mean by that became your approach. And I want to definitely hear of your approach. Even before that, you seem to know how to just create, to build relationships along, along the way, figure out what your passion is mm -hmm. as you build those relationships mm -hmm. and as you progress. What did it look like to not only build those relationships, but to find your approach in the process? I would say my approach became refined. If I digress a little bit and I mention as far as the dynamics of some things that happened with a close friend at the college level. Right. Um, during that time, I was able to kind of mediate some, some things. And then later in my career, I didn't necessarily excel because of other dynamics. And maybe I just wasn't that good. <laughs> but partly, let's be honest here. Yeah. I created a partnership with the Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and the Boys and Girls Club to have big brothers for youth in the community. And that was probably my first thing. And I was able to get our coaches to buy into that. Mm -hmm. And what I did was I had two athletes to every young man at the time. And one of the ways I was able to incentivize young men to participate is I had a lawnmower service and I was able to purchase Burger King. So I said, listen, you come to the Boys and Girls Club to work with these kids, I'll get you Burger <laughs> get you Burger King. You know, most guys get their scholarship check and they will blow it up. So yeah. a meal burger. <laughs> so I, I, I so I really kind of started in high I mean in college a little bit and then it kind of carried on, carried over and different experiences kind of helped refine that that mm. approach. But when I met Bob Soalis and heard him speak, that kind of crystallized, I would more or less say, that approach or my perspective as it pertains to health and wellness and community as a whole. From your experience, your history, I know you continued on to build some programs moving okay. forward, right? Okay. So what did it look like to use the resources that you had from your mentor, Bob, and then now looking to building these sustainable programs? Having the experience, seeing what expectations were to be, as far as being a part of that physical activity plan I had, insight on the direction they wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like, how do I preempt this and start taking advantage and developing programming that will be appealing to organizations, community on a larger level in a public space. All of the fitness programming that I had, I started thinking not from an individual standpoint, but more or less from a community standpoint. So can you give us uh, some examples? examples? Yeah, okay. of like what those community programs, programs were. were. Okay. For the first one, I, it was an outfit project. And what I did was I identify outdoor equipment to what was the most durable, what was the cheapest, and what was the most feasible and how people would use those and how they would be best used. So I did a lot of research on that and, and organized community around that to identify spots and spaces within the community to place the equipment. At the time, it was a mayor, a young mayor by the name of Adrian Fenty that was very passionate about it and made some things happen, which he inspired me to continue in that direction. We didn't get some of the things to happen because of future plans that they had. And at the time, one of the main locations were off of Calvert, where they do now have some of the things. He really moved hard on it. Ironically, he was pushing for it years before, maybe 2007. He was pushing it through 2007. 
and I actually went to the physical activity plan around 2009. Mm-hmm. Had I been more inclined to work, to interact with politicians, I probably would have had a good chance to be of, <laughs> of some, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, he would have been more helpful to my, <laughs> yeah. to my uh, efforts. I do know that you continue to, to not only build programs, but mm-hmm. be an advocate for things you want, wanted. So mm-hmm. what did it feel like to, to then continue to just be an advocate okay. for like yourself and the things, yeah. the communities that you were supportive of? It was cool. It was some pushback in, in some capacities as cities changed, as you mentioned, alluded to. Right. Chocolate City turned into mocha, mm-hmm. if you will. I was cool with the mocha at the time until yeah. I understood that that mean I was mixed out of that situation. No, I'm joking. Uh, but partly, <laughs> pun intended, I'm going to be honest. That's right. Pun is intended. I started, had an opportunity to start working with some of the luxury condos that was coming up. During that time, I had insight in some of the planning and development that would happen. I connected with like the Bazudos, the Hines, et cetera, different developers, and saw some of the plans that were on the horizon. Ironically, I was tapped before I could even move on it, and they had some spaces that they were going to look to build. It was a pilot, and they said, what do you think? How would you? It was a young lady that I knew, and she came and brought me over and said, look, what do you think? I'm like, man, I don't, we don't even know each other. You know, we don't even know each other like that, right? But she remembered me. She said, look, we're looking to do this. What did you think about this space? And that was my first introduction to the luxury condos and residential space and how they were putting two-level fitness facilities, 22 square square feet gyms in them. And I was like, wow, this is a great opportunity. So I worked in those spaces, but there was mixed income. in those spaces and the programming that I had didn't necessarily wasn't necessarily affordable to some of those people that lived in those spaces that was from a lower socioeconomic background and being cognitive of that I wanted to create some programming to make them feel included and involved and be able to provide them the highest level of service even though they didn't have our price point at the time didn't match their budget and that's definitely something that's still important to this day, right? When we mm-hmm. think about fitness programming and how do we engage and mm-hmm. making sure we create these healthy communities. Speaking of healthy communities, I know that you didn't stop with that kind mm-hmm. of programming then. I know you have a program now that's really important. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Program now that we have is kind of a, is derived out of the experiences and some of the shortfalls or the unfortunate inability to scale some of the other programming. And it led me to policy because as I saw that a lot of it was around politics Mm. and interest, special interest. And you have to be able to to align with those interests and be able to impact those interests. And I learned more and more that some of the spaces and the things that were happening in the community was funded by federal dollars. And I would, you know, so a lot of the things that were changing me as a taxpayer could have an impact. And I truly had a say so in what would happen rather than me feeling like a guest and asking, can you please, Mm -hmm. can I please, you know, it was more or less being aware of my ability as a taxpayer and now a homeowner to kind of lean in a little bit and ask my public official to, be responsive to my needs. Mm-hmm. 
So going back to that advocacy piece, or right? mm-hmm. being an advocate for not only your community, but being an advocate for yourself. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But speaking of being an advocate, I know you think about the times that we're in and voting is such an important time right Correct. now, right? Correct. Tell us a little bit, like about- how, how, what's the importance around voting for you? Mm-hmm. And then what's the, what, how does that tie into the program? Or programs okay. that you're okay. uh, that you have in place now. Now, as far as with the voting piece, is we have a series that we call Design Community Wellness. Colon, and each week we'll add what that is. And at the moment, is Design Community Wellness, run the polls, vote. <laughs> so we're really pushing early voting and getting out the vote. I think that's the first step for us to design community wellness. That's being engaged to advocate, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, to affect policy in your local community. We're taking advantage of that time to show people the importance of voting and how it's impactful, not only on a national level, but also on a local level and looking at things in a down ballot. So we're using this time to inform people, educate Mm -hmm. people, and to also organize people to address and make change in their community Mm -hmm. and in efforts to design community wellness. What are some ways that you're organizing people? So far as organizing at the moment, uh, we're organizing people around a Zoom call that we have every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Okay. We have a guest speaker, maybe one or two, to talk about an issue that is germane to that uh, particular community or a national uh, social question or concern. And we have an expert to speak to those concerns, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes personalities. And then we have a Q&A. And then we have an action item after each session to encourage people to take action. We are big on taking action and not Mm -hmm. just talking. We're big on building community. So our ask as well is to invite five friends. Five friends is a community. So if you keep solid within that five, that's your community. And we would like to expand that and kind of build on that. Mm -hmm. And, And hopefully if those five friends can communicate or not communicate and emulate the values that we want to see in our community, then we can further impact and see the values that we want to see in our broader community. Thinking of ways and understanding the importance of that community, uh, if folks want to be a part of this space and the community that you're building, or just be supportive of uh, Run the Polls. Okay. Um, how can they do that? Uh, you can go to www.runthepolls.org. Yeah. All right. All right. That's www.runthepolls.org. All right. We'll make sure we uh, add those in the show notes. I know you talked about that community that you're building on the Zoom calls. As I ask you the question about Run the Polls, where does the actual Running the Polls okay. come in? At? Okay, I get it. So what we're doing now, we're uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been highlighting the poll station, the early poll boxes right. that's uh, scattered throughout D.C. There's 55 locations throughout D.C., and we just want to highlight those spaces to encourage people to visit those spaces and drop off their ballots. That being said, the first two weeks is also to demonstrate to the five battlegrounds that we hope to encourage to get out early voting, Mm -hmm. what it looks like, how easy it is, and make it a fun and engaging way to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, we say run, it can be a walk too. (laughs) But we just encourage that around the fitness, the health thing. It's just a way to 
we got to get to the polls yeah. and physically being physically active is also something we want to endorse. Definitely appreciate that. And I'm curious because there are so many people right in this country, in this world that say, hey, I can just do my little part or I don't have to do anything at all. I can just sit back, be a spectator. I'm curious for you, why is it so important for you to, to not sit back and be a spectator? I think, you know, not to be a spectator, I think it goes back to as an athlete and identifying yourself only as an athlete, but you can be more impactful in a lot of ways. And I think often athletes in the past have looked and observed things from afar and stayed in the bubble in which they operated when they could have been more impactful and because they are great communicators, often they're leaders, and often they are leaders within their families and within their communities, and people would be more responsive in the, in the things that they do. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not only for individuals, but athletes to not be a spectator, or people, the general population, to not be a spectator and to be participants in our democracy. Mm -hmm. I think we are privileged to be a part of a democracy and we need to understand what that is. We need to cultivate that opportunity and we do that every Wednesday. And on Wednesdays, we also phone bank, we text <laughs> and we try to make action, not only while we're online, but give people the tools and the directions to do it uh, ongoing. So I know the things that you've actually put in place. And as we've talked, I asked you earlier about the lessons you learned earlier as a young adult through athletics. I'm curious about the lessons that you learned throughout life as an athlete, keeping in mind here at Perfect Time in Multisport, right? We try to blend in that mental health aspect with Absolutely. athletics, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. tell us about some uh, lessons that you learned about yourself mm -hmm. through athletics. Growth mindset, dedication, persistence, teamwork, confidence, mental toughness is the key. And the biggest thing is also identity, understanding your identity and not losing yourself in that activity, in that event, or even in that sport. Also, as an African-American male, to be conditioned and trained to compete at the highest level and also acquire the skills of cooperation, I think it's also high time for us to transcend that and practice that among one another post-athletics and to really foster those values that's learned in a sports space and really practice those among one another, the black men, and throughout our community and lead in that. That, I would say, is the biggest lesson that I've learned is identity, being comfortable who you are, and taking those added values and enhancing not only yourself, but also your community. My next question, and this is something I like to ask everyone is, how do you define the perfect athlete? The perfect athlete is someone that looks beyond sports or fitness and can achieve a higher calling that transcends himself and his, his wants and maybe at times his needs to impact and shape those around him that will most likely sustain him and build and strengthen others. Just a gentleman that, or an athlete that is, that embodies what LeBron, I mean, I, I stopped watching athletics for, and maybe you're not a fan of LeBron's, but 
I stopped at watching athletics for maybe 15 years, and I just started observing athletics again because of LeBron. And I have some cousins that are first class, right? But they got a nice portion, a nice car. And you know what I mean? That's it. They play good ball, right? But what, what LeBron was doing off the field really kind of inspired and resonated with me. So I think he embodies what I've what I've been advocating for for some time mm-hmm. um we have a guest by the name of micah he uh is definitely one of the biggest lebron fans <laughs> <laughs> make sure y'all check out his episode okay 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 <laughs> michael well oh, you're like i had enough of that you got another episode <laughs> yeah, i'm cool with lebron I, okay, I okay. Like and, and, and like you said how can you not like him right it's right. the things that he does off the court things that he does on the court, but also the school, right? The advocacy work that he does is just really powerful and impactful. And it's definitely something that we would love to see a lot more people. Yeah, just people, especially also athletes do as well. To lighten the mood, we like (laughs) to ask some rapid fire questions. Okay, (laughs) here we go. Here we go. What is a song that gets you like motivated to go do a workout? You know, man, I'm kind of a cornball a little bit. I don't really listen to too much music, man, unless it's like, I listen to anything, man. I listen to just like, it may be some African beats mixed with some trap. Yeah, (laughs) You know, I'll throw out anything, man. Like, I don't really have one person. I don't know anybody. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm 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 kind of a cornball when it comes to <laughs> nothing wrong with that. You know, <laughs> maybe you throw somebody out there. I'll be like, yeah, that one right there. But <laughs> but for the most part, I'm just I'm chill, man. Yeah, hey, nothing I'm wrong chill. with that. So that's what uh, is getting you started. I'm curious, how do you like to celebrate a long hard workout? A long hard workout, man. A burger afterwards. No. Yeah. Um, That's real. <laughs> no. <laughs> I want a burger. Uh, like, uh, to celebrate. No, I really like to dr- to eat clean after a workout. Okay. You know what I mean? Even though I, at one point I used to do run groups and we would go to Baked and Wire in, in Georgetown. Right? So I would go eat, get some sweet food. <laughs> but no, nah, that, that was just a cute thing to do. Yeah. I, I really like like a nice smoothie, a salad or something like that. So I'm feeling like I'm. You know, working out and eating good, you know. <laughs> That's real. Yeah. That's real. I know uh, you're also a runner, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I was a runner at some point. <laughs> All right. So, life, life, life transition and, uh, yeah, things challenge. That's real. So, can you think about, like, your ugliest, ugly, uh, ugliest, ugliest finish at a race? I pulled my hamstring probably... I tweaked it in the in in the warm up, warming up, and I further further I I didn't pull it. I further strained it before the race started, so I never completed the Army ten miler. Dang, it's funny. I just saw that on Facebook. You know how they put the the old the old <laughs> I'm like I don't want to see that. <laughs> you know what I mean? The old they give you that old picture. Yeah, yup, yup. So that was my. That wasn't quite a finish. That was my, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I get that. As an athlete runner, what is or what was your favorite distance to train for? 
oddly, man, I organized a lot of 5Ks. Okay. And a lot of 5K, the 5Ks were interesting because, again, it went back to the community base. And you had a collective group of, or, or intergenerational type of environment. And getting the kids engaged and participating and me leading and being the rabbit and them, you know, following at you. You know, to be, being at the starting line with you and running with you. You know, only for about a block, you know, <laughs> and before they start walking. But that was really exciting for me. It was more or less the activity than the race. That makes sense. Yeah. And the last rapid fire question, I guess it's not much of a rapid fire. It's definitely one of our staple questions that we like to ask everyone. If you had to marry one, kiss one, kill one, swim, bike, run, what would it be? Dang, that was a lot of questions. <laughs> so I have to pick one of those. Yeah, marry one. Okay. Kiss one, kill one. Kiss the run. Kiss the run. Kill the swim. <laughs> All right. And you're, you're marrying the bike? Yeah, I'll marry the bike. All right. I'll marry the bike. All right. Cool. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Definitely, again, appreciate you jumping on for this conversation. If folks want to continue a conversation off offline, how would they do that? And also, how can they remind them of how they can support what you're doing you can go again if you want to get active and really encourage early voting or advocating advocating and affecting policy in your community mm -hmm. you can go to run the if you want to contact me directly you can go to chicaromartin.com that's c-h-i-c-k-a-r-o martin m-a-r-t-i-n dot com you go there, you can still go to run the polls. All the information is there. So, again, you can get, get in touch with me at chakarlmartin.com. All right. All right. And, again, this will be uh, in our show notes. Um, as you all have noticed, we've been trying to highlight some voting information and get you all out there to, to just go out and take advantage of some early voting. So <laughs> we're right on track and making sure we release that with that content. So please stay up to date. Please go ahead and follow Chicago. Please make sure you hit up, run the polls. If nothing else, just check out the page. Those analytics matter. <laughs> but uh, thank again, you. Thank, <laughs> again you. thank you for joining. Before we wrap up, I'm curious, is there, are there any lasting words that you want to leave with the community? Yeah, your voices, your vote. Get out there and vote early and make sure we make it a big day on election night. All right, there we go. All right, again, looking forward to continuing to build this community with you all. Have to make sure I shout out our sponsor. Shout out Walls Caps. Uh, shout out Athletic Brewing Company. Shout out to Philly Bike Expo, Urban Athletic Club. And then shout out to Aftershocks. Definitely cannot do this without you guys' support. We definitely cannot do this without the support of everybody that's listening, participating in some way. Peace, y'all.